the lessons we can learn from the book of Habakkuk. This is a short book. He lived in a period of time very similar to ours today. Have, have you ever been discouraged when you turn on your news and you hear of the violence, the injustice, and a total disregard for God's way of life, and you ever wonder why God isn't doing something about it? This is what Habakkuk was facing in the nation of Judah. And we can go ahead and turn to the book of Habakkuk because we'll probably spend most of our time there. The prophet probably lived in Judah, just a little background knowledge there, lived in Judah during the reign of the godly king Josiah. But he wrote his prophecy during King Josiah's successor. Jehoiakim. This fits the description of the life of the moral collapse and the anarchy during the reign of Jehoiakim. The time would be somewhere between the time when Babylon actually conquered Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, in 612 BC, and the time when Babylon conquered Jerusalem in 587 BC. What we read about, we read about the moral decline of the nation from the transition from Josiah to Jehoiakim in 2 Kings 23. In 2 Kings 23, let me just briefly read the difference in these two kings, beginning in verse 24 at 2 Kings 23 and, and verse 24. It says, and also Josiah. Put away those who work with familiar spirits. Get rid of the witchcraft and the wizards and the family gods and the idols and all the abominations which were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem so that he might perform the words of the law. Quite a transition. But here's the interesting part. And we read what his son, whose name was changed to Jehoiakim, was like in verse 37, to show you the contrast, the difference. Verse 37, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. Quite a contrast from one generation to the next. But it is important to note that Habakkuk was witnessing during his prophecy. So let's begin in chapter 1, where the prophet, prophet questions God. Do we ever do that? Notice that he's not the only person to question God, by the way. We could, we could look back at some of the other examples. We look at Job. Much to his chagrin, he questioned God. Jonah decided not to follow and to question God's judgment as well, and, and others. Um, however, Habakkuk just wanted to know why God was letting these things happen. Why was he letting them happen? In chapter 1, 
And beginning in verse 2, it says, O Lord, how long shall I cry? And you will not hear. I cry out to you of violence, and you, you don't save. Why do you show me weakness and trouble? For destruction and violence are before me, and there's strife and contention rises up. Therefore, the law has become ineffective, and judgment does not always go forth. For the wicked entraps the righteous. Therefore, judgment goes forth perverted. It almost sounds like our complaints about the society we live in today. There was sin. Do we witness sin in our nation today? There was wickedness. We see our share of that, obviously, today. There was destruction and violence. Just turn on your TV. We experienced the violent mobs, if you'll remember there, and the destruction of the property. Frequently we see this. There's no justice in the courts. <laughs> well, we surely see that. Those in positions of wealth and power commit crimes that are often ignored. And the wicked outnumbered those who follow God. We certainly seem to be heading in that direction today. He asked some very good questions, however. What are the wicked not punished? And prosper. They actually prosper. Why doesn't God do something about this? You know, he may have prayed for a long period of time. Notice he asked God, he asked God, how long will I call and not get an answer? Well, in verses 5 through 11, we get God's response to his prayers. And he finds out that God is, in, is indeed going to do something. And he's going to use Babylon to destroy Judah. God tells Habakkuk in verse 5, he tells him that he's going to be amazed and stunned. And then in verse 6, in verse 6, we hear, for lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess dwelling places that are not their own. Verse 7, they are terrible and fearful. Their law and their majesty proceed from them. And then God goes on to describe just how terrible and destructive they are. Now, see, God shocks the prophet that he's going to use a people, use a people that are much more sinful and destructive than the Jews themselves. That they cannot be stopped and they will certainly destroy Judah. Now, I would imagine that most of us have been praying to God to do something about the conditions in our nation. We, we need God to correct our country. But what if his decision 
let's say, for example, to have China sweep through the United States and destroy our wickedness. Would you not be a little shocked that they're even worse than we are? They're full of sins and violence as well? Do we question God's judgment and decision? Or would you say, he answered our prayers? Is this what we really expected? You know, I think Habakkuk was a little shocked that God would use these people to destroy Judah. Notice his response in verse 12. He said, Are you not from everlasting? O Lord, my God, my Holy One, shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them for judgment, and my rock you have established them for correction. Now here it certainly appears that he accepts God's judgment and recognize that God has, he recognized the fact that God has made a covenant with Israel that he would never break. Notice how he says, we will not die. So he accepts God's answer. He doesn't like much about it, I can tell you that. Notice in verse 13, he says, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look upon iniquity. So why do you look upon those who deal treacherously? Will you be silent when the wicked swallows the man that is more righteous than he is? Speaking. He then goes on and describes that the Babylonians will scoop up Judah as a fisherman with his net. In other words, speaking, obviously, of the army. But again, notice his question in verse 17. His question is, shall he therefore empty his net, and shall we slay nations without pity? You know, I think it's okay sometimes to let God know that we recognize his authority but boy, sometimes his decisions could be painful. You know, in chapter 2, we see God's answer. And he makes it pretty clear that Habakkuk didn't need to worry about the Babylonians. That they would receive their just punishment soon as well. And even more interesting here, he tells Habakkuk to write it down because it will happen. I want you to write it down. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord answered me, and he said, Write the vision and make it plain on the tablets so that a man may read it swiftly. He wants to make sure that they know that in time, this will happen. It is going to happen. And he wanted it written down for that purpose. And he continues in verse 3, for the vision is still for an appointed time, something in the future. But it shall speak at the end, and it does not lie. So it, it, in other words, it is going to happen. 
though it lingers, in other words, it isn't going to happen right away, not right away, he said, he tells him to wait for it. You know, sometimes we need to be patient with God because it will surely come. He continues on because it will surely come. It will not delay. Now, even though this applies to ancient Babylon, the statement that, but it shall speak at the end, could also apply to Babylon of Revelation 17 and 18. Think about that. Notice the reference to the wine and to all of the people. And it could be very easily be speaking about the end time Babylon. In verse 5, verse 5, it says, Yea, also, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man and he is not content. He widens his desire like the grave, and he is like death and cannot be satisfied. But he gathers, now here, here's the important point, right here. But he gathers all nations to himself and heaps to himself all people. Now Judah is not specifically mentioned here, so this could refer to all of Israel in the latter days. Now Babylon was actually noted for their drinking, their partying, and it was actually during one of those drinking parties that Cyrus and the Persians were able to sneak into the city and defeat the Babylonians. And speaking of the latter days, with the reference to the wine and to all nations and to all people, is he not referring to Babylon the Great of Revelation 17 and 18? who is drunk with the blood of the saints and are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Now, times, if, if time were permitting, and I don't think I can fit it into this short time frame, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to turn there, but I really, you, you need to go through and read Revelation 17 again. In the rest of chapter 2, the rest of chapter 2, Habakkuk gives us a series of woes describing just how bad the Babylonians were and what are those that practice these things. And he goes through them. I'm not going to, I'm just going to give you a brief overview. But in verses 4 and 5, talks about it is a well to the proud. In verses 6 through 8, it talks about it is a well to the greedy. In verses 9 through 11, it says it's a well to the dishonest. In verses 13 to 14, it is a woe to the violent. All these things, all these violent, these terrible things. In verse 15 to 17, is a woe to the sensual. And, and finally, in verses 18 to 20, it is a woe to the idolater. Now, if you look at these, they all seem to blend together to create the kind of society that he was facing and we're facing today. In verses 16 and 17, it gives us a description of Babylon's ultimate end. It says, you are filled with shame instead of glory. Drink also and be seen as one uncircumcised. 
the cup of the Lord's right hand shall turn upon you, and disgrace shall be your glory. Verse 17 says, For the violence of Lebanon shall cover you, and the destruction of beasts shall terrify them because of the blood of man. And for the violence of the land, for the violence of the land, of the city, and of all those dwelling in it. Interesting. So you see Babylon, even though they're used as an instrument of God to punish Judah, they will not escape the wrath of God. God does not support sin of any nation. And this, this should be a warning for you and I today. Now, just for a second, let me revert back to verse 14. Back to verse 14. As this is an obvious reference to me to the latter days, in verse 14, when it says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It can only happen. That can only happen with the return of Christ and the establishment of God's kingdom. In any case, it is clear that God is in charge and he will not allow sinful and destructive behavior to go unpunished. He will not allow it. God must allow humans their destructive behavior until they come to realize that they will self-destruct without God. God will intervene when he knows the timing is right. And these are important lessons for us today. You know, in chapter 1, we see a very, very depressed Habakkuk calling on God to correct his nation for their destructive behavior. He doesn't like the response that he gets to his prayers, and he questions God. And in chapter 2, he sets himself up in a tower to await God's answer to these questions. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 2, I will stand on my watch and set myself on the tower. I'm going to sit up here. And I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I shall answer when I'm reproved. God lets him know that iniquity will not go unpunished. And as we go into chapter 3, we now see Habakkuk, he praises God and he accepts the outcome, realizing that God will keep his promise. He's going to keep this promise of the covenant that he made with Israel. In verses 1 and 2, in verses 1 and 2, chapter 3, he pleads for mercy as God brings on his judgment to Judah. He pleads, pleads for mercy. Notice verse 2. Verse 2. Oh, Lord, I have heard the report about you. I am afraid. Oh, Lord, give new life to your work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make it known. Now, notice, notice the request for compassion here. Notice the request for compassion when he says, in wrath, in your wrath, remember compassion. 
you know, he recognizes the need for God's judgment, but he also pleads to, for God to be merciful. In verses 3 through 15, he, he actually praises God's power and his majesty. Notice in verse 6, for example, he says, his ways are everlasting. In verse 10, he says, the mountains have seen you and they tremble. And in verse 11, he says, the sun and the moon stood still in their lofty dwellings. And in verse 12, he says, you march through the land in indignation. You thresh nations in anger. And he recognizes and he praises God's power. Finally, in verses 16 through 19, in spite of all the fear and what is coming, he promises to wait on the Lord. Notice in verse 16. Verse 16. I heard, and my inward parts trembled. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered into my bones, and I trembled in myself that I should wait for the day of trouble when he comes up against the people that he invades. So, brother, what, what do we learn from this book of Habakkuk? What, what do we take away from this prophet's encounter with God? Let me go through some of these. Number one, number one. Sometimes it appears that God is remote and not paying attention, but he is involved. We noticed in chapter 1 that God was even in control of the Babylonians, and he would use them to achieve his purpose. In, in other words, in the end, God's will and his purpose stands. Number two, God is holy and he will not approve of evil. Now, we, we need to be looking into our own life, our own sins, our own habits, because God will not approve of our sins or our bad behavior. And without repentance, he will eventually deal with our nation. Number three, one thing for sure, is that we learn one thing that we learned is that God does answer prayers. We learn that God does answer prayers. Plain and simple. May not like the answer. Number four. Number four. The answer we get to our prayers may not be what we expect. You know, most of the time we pray and, and we're expecting a certain kind of answer. And I imagine Habakkuk was hoping for some kind of repentance for the people. But God had a different answer in mind. Number five, God is just and he's merciful, but he will not tolerate sinful behavior and he will judge the wicked. That'll do it in his time, but he will not. He will judge the wicked, but he will do it in a time any schedule that he puts before himself, but he will always keep the covenant he made with the people. 
And finally, we must have faith in God. It all boils down to faith. We might, may not always agree with God's decisions, but he has a plan and he knows what is best. You know, patience, <laughs> patience is not always easy, but we, we need to learn to wait on God. Lena Habakkuk's final statement in chapter 3 and in verses 18 to 19. It says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And he recognizes in verse 19, he said, The Lord is my strength, and he will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me to walk upon high places. He prayed to God. He got an answer. Wasn't the answer he originally wanted. But he eventually learned to put his trust in God. Brethren, today, we walk in the same shoes as Habakkuk did in the nation of Judah. Take a look around you. Look at the news once in a while. See what's taking place. See if, see how godly our nation is. We see that same destruction. We see that same violence. The injustice that's taking place is awful. And a total disregard for God and his laws. Total disregard. Now, we don't know when or how God will deal with this nation. We don't know. But rest assured that he does not approve of the evil. And at some point, he is going to take action if the people do not repent. Brethren, we, we must be patient and wait on God and remain faithful that he will deliver on the promises that he has made to those who love God and keep his commandments. There's a lot, of, lot to learn in these, these minor prophets. And a lot of them pertain to the events of our time and our day. I wish everybody to have a wonderful and happy Sabbath.